Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to go to the Word uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for just the truth about who you are and what you've done and what you've overcome and what you've extended to us and what you've said about us and our condition apart from you and then what you've said about our condition now that we're in you. And we would not know any of that if it weren't for your word, if it weren't for the Bible, if it weren't for your scriptures having been written down and then um, preserved for us, not because they're ancient, but because they're alive and living. And so, Lord, we pray that they and your spirit would come and that they would do a work on our hearts that, that we can't do for ourselves, that you would continue to draw us closer to Jesus, more in love with him, more desirous of him, Lord, that he might be receiving more and more and more of our praise. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, take my mind and my heart and my lips and cause them to obey you, that I'd only say what you've ordained for this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through the book of Colossians, but we're going to pause on that. We're going to continue that next week because today's Easter and uh, we're going to talk about resurrection. Now, it's something that we talk about every week because we always talk about what the problem is what Jesus did to overcome that by the cross, and then that he rose again. We talk about that all the time, but we, wanna, we just want to hunker down in that resurrection today. But to do that, you kind of go back to, have to go back to the beginning of the story because there's, there's no reason for resurrection if there wasn't first death. And there wouldn't be death if there hadn't been sin. And there wouldn't be sin if God hadn't given a commandment and the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, had stood there, heard the command, and then went off and disobeyed him. And God had told them, when you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And they took the fruit and ate it, and they were off towards death. That was the big problem of humanity, and I just read it in Time magazine this morning. They said it too, that the one great statistic in all of humanity is that every person who's born dies. There's no way around it. Even non-Christians believe that one. People who are sleeping in this morning and still going to eat a good lunch, they believe that one. You better eat as many good lunches as you can because one day you will die. And that all happened because of sin. So the scripture describes this great problem. But what I love is that even though there was a problem, God struck out from the beginning and said, I'm going to do something about that. They can't do it for themselves and there's no, nothing or nothing else that can help them. I must help them. I'm the only way possible. So all through the scripture, it's going towards Jesus. Now what's neat about the scripture is even while death is present at the beginning, that God kind of gives hints about what he's going to do. We start seeing moments where he takes people who are uh, going to die or have died and pulls them out of death. Uh, one that's figurative, it's a type, one of the first ones we see, because we know that there's death when Cain killed Abel. But a few stories later, we have Abraham who's taking his son Isaac up the hill to sacrifice him, right? And God substitutes a different sacrifice, that ram that's caught in the thicket by its horns. And the New Testament says that, in a sense, Isaac was resurrected, that he came down off that mountain alive. So that was a type of resurrection. But I want to give a few stories this morning about other resurrections that happened. The first one that I could think of came from 1 Kings. The prophet Elijah had been ministering uh, to a widow. And this widow had a son, and the son dies. And so in 1 Kings, it says this, the, the son has died. And it says, then Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life 
come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room, uh, the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. That absolutely blows my mind. This son is dead. Elijah goes and stretches himself out over him. And the Lord grants his request and puts life back into the boy. The boy resurrected. Now, Elijah had a, 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 a man who was under him, his, uh, a man he was tutoring named Elisha. And almost a similar story happens. There was a Shunammite woman um, who had a son. She had been barren, but God gave her a son. And so this son also dies. And Elisha, this other prophet, does almost the exact same thing. It says, when Elisha, this is out of Second Kings chapter 4, it says, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the uh, and as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. He got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So again, this child is dead and Elisha goes and does that. And the Lord puts life back to that child. Two resurrection stories right there in the Old Testament. But it's not just the Old Testament. When you flip to the New Testament, we see another man named Paul in the book of Acts. He does a similar thing. Now, you know, maybe I can identify with this one a little bit. But when Paul was preaching and teaching one time really late at night in this house, they were in this this upper room in this house and he was preaching maybe way too long. Okay, I I shouldn't maybe speak against his ministry. Sometimes we preachers and teachers get carried away. And Paul was going late into the night this morning. It says in that house, it was dimly lit and there were some candles and it was very warm and cozy. And there was this young guy named Eutychus. He was sitting in the window of this upper story. And you know what? Just like some of you do in my sermons that are too long, he fell asleep. But the poor guy didn't just fall asleep in the window. He fell out the window and fell down two stories and died on the ground. And so it says in the book of Acts that Paul ran down there, says, uh, and I'll read the whole story. And, and a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talks still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So even in the New Testament, here's Paul who has this instance where this boy's dead. He runs down and the Lord puts life back into the child. So that happened with prophets. It happened with an apostle. But it also happened in Jesus's ministry. There's another story in Luke chapter eight about a man named Jairus. He has a daughter who is sick. And so he sends messengers to go to get Jesus and Jesus is on the way. But while he's on the way, they hear this news. It says, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, from Jairus's house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, don't weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. 
and they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, Jesus called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. So Jesus in his ministry comes to this girl and by his words, he says, child, arise and boom. I mean, those people weren't stupid. They knew when somebody was dead, they don't have a pulse. They're not breathing. They're cold. They're dead. Their spirit's gone. And yet Jesus spoke. Her spirit returns. She's up and around eating, playing. And one other time that I want to make mention is in John chapter 11. Now, many of us know this story well, because it's Jesus And one of his good friends, Lazarus, has died. Now, this one, just in case people are like, well, maybe somebody just kind of went into a small coma. No, not this one for sure. Not any of them, but just so anybody would say, oh, come on. This guy has been dead for four days. Four days. And he's been in the tomb so long that when Jesus comes and he says, take the tombstone away, even the guy's sisters are like, hey, 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 hey. He's been in there so long, he's going to stink. Okay, he's dead. His body is beginning to rot. I wouldn't even open that tomb. Don't unseal that Ziploc bag. You don't do it. Uh, It's going to stink. But Jesus is so powerful. It says in John chapter 11, verse 43, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, it didn't matter how long the person was dead. Jesus was able by his power, by his word to resurrect his friend Lazarus. And so we've just kind of boom, 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 machine gun through these stories. We have Elijah and Elisha raising those sons. We have we have Paul as an apostle raising up Eutychus who had fallen out the window after a boring sermon. We had Jesus during his ministry who went to Jairus' daughter and and said, child arise, took her by the hand, she raised up. And then you have him before the tomb of one of his friends crying into that tomb, Lazarus, come out. And the man came out. Five stories where God, by his power, resurrected individuals from the dead. Amazing stories, right? Absolutely amazing. And yet I want to bring up these five stories because as amazing as those five stories are, they also have their limitations. The reason is this. All five of those individuals, the two sons of the widows, the young man in the church window, the young girl that Jesus raised and Lazarus, All five of them would have been raised at the power of God in those moments, but they would have lived for a time longer. And then guess what happened? They died again. They died again. See, it was amazing, but the miracle was temporary. It was for a moment where God burst into their life and said, I want to show you, I want to illustrate my capability over death. But what he was doing was also illustrating, but in those moments, it's temporary. You see, a lot of the things that God gives us to love and to enjoy and to receive his blessing are very, very temporary. In fact, we grow accustomed and really love and sometimes idolize the temporary. We really, really, really like to just keep having more and more and more. 
but we never get full enough of what we need. So for instance, today, I had a peek at the menu that Katie has planned. We're having an Easter meal, and I, I mean, I love being at church, but I can't wait also to get to that meal because we're having ham, and we're having cheesy potato casserole, and, and uh, there's desserts going on. It's going to be good. I guarantee you, I will eat and eat and eat that meal until this belly looks like it should in Johnston County, okay? It's going to be full because Katie can cook. And there's going to come a point where I'm going to be like, that meal was amazing. I might even belch, you know? Let out my belt another notch. It's going to be amazing. But it's temporary, isn't it? Come about midnight, I'm going to go looking for more ham. Tomorrow, we're going to want to make a sandwich. My belly can't keep up with what it wants to consume. I've got to have more. The amazing has to continue. We need something more. We can't just be filled up by the temporary things that bring us pleasure in this life. Whether it's an Easter meal or being resurrected for just one more day. Having breath for just one more day on this earth. There will come a time when death comes. We need something more. Solomon said that he tried to fill his life with everything. He had more better meals in his life than you and I will ever have. He had more money than you and I will ever have. He had more power than all of us put together will ever have. He had more pleasure in any type of way, in sensuality, in sexual whatever. He had more of it than you'll ever have. And when he came to the end of it, he said this, I've had more than any of y'all will ever, ever have. And guess what? It's all meaningless. Why? It all ends. It just blows away in the end. When he came to the end of his life, he said, that's all for nothing. You need something more. You need God. You need your creator. You need him to do something in you that's going to last for eternity. A one meal is not going to do it. A thousand meals is not going to do it. You've got to stare death in the face. Now, in those five stories, there was five individuals who died and were resurrected. But guess what? They were facing death again. They needed something more. We can't be consumed with the temporary. You know why? Because as much as we like to consume... Death itself has a very big appetite. It devours everything it can, including you. And God, knowing this, knew that it wasn't enough to raise widow's sons and a boy in the church and a young girl that had a dad who was very powerful and a best buddy, Lazarus. And that's why Jesus came to earth as a baby. And we illustrated that the other night at our Good Thursday service when when you came to that service and that light came on, you saw that Christmas tree, right? We love Christmas. But as you heard the crucifixion story read, you saw that Christmas tree transformed into what? A cross. Because he was born 
so that he could die. And Jesus grew up to a man and he was nailed on that tree because the sin that Adam and Eve had and everybody else has had and you and I have had, it needed to be dealt with. Somebody had to pay for that sin. And so Jesus paid with his own blood and said, I love them so much, I'm going to pay with my blood. I'm going to die for them. It says that when they came and they saw that his body was dead, they didn't even need to break his legs, but they shoved a spear up his side. And then a couple guys, Joseph and Nicodemus, they went and asked Pilate for his body. They knew he was dead. They took his, his body down, they wrapped him in cloths, and they put him into a tomb that had never been used before, and they shut that tomb over with a big stone. It was sealed with Pilate's ring, and they put guards outside of it so that nobody could steal the body. And if the story would end there, you and I would have no hope. We'd have somebody who said, hey, I paid for your sins, but we would have no warranty. We'd have no guarantee that it actually happened. But that early Sunday morning. The scripture tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit, that God's power came and resurrected Jesus, that death could not contain him. It did not have dominion over him anymore, but he rose from the grave. Romans 6 says this. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. All those other five individuals, when they were raised, they died again. Why? Death still had dominion. It still had their name. But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, death could never get him again. He himself had overcome it. The good thing about that is when he resurrected, now he comes back to a people and says, since I have resurrected, I'm the firstborn from the dead, and I'm going to give my resurrection to you. If you are mine, if I have paid for your sin, and I will resurrect you. The good thing about that, it's not a temporary one where you're going to die again. He said, when I come and I call your name on the day when I return, I will come in and I will say, Danny. Melissa. Doc. Jason. Come with me. Come with me. I am resurrecting you to eternity. There will never be death in your life again. You will never be unfulfilled again. You will have absolute blessing and pleasure for all of eternity and you'll find it in me. And that's Jesus' promise. It's his promise that's good because he resurrected from the dead. It's amazing, but it's also eternal. And it's for you. And he goes on and says this, for death, the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not therefore, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let me give you this promise as well. When we talk about resurrection, a, long uh, a lot of times we put it way out there in the future. It's a day to come. But Jesus told Lazarus, his sister, I am the resurrection and the life. The scripture says if you have become a believer in Jesus, your sins paid for and you're waiting for the day he comes. He's actually already given you the first resurrection that his spirit is already alive and working in your life. Romans chapter eight says that his spirit, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, is now at work in your mortal bodies. Why? To save this mortal body? No, to keep this mortal body from sinning. 
I kind of believe that there's lots of people who cannot wait to die because they're like, I can't stop sinning. I just can't stop doing what I want to do. I don't know any other way to stop it but just to die. That's not how God intended you to live. God intended you to live in his holiness and his righteousness. And so he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He wants to give you today to work in your life to stop you from doing all the crud. So you can live in wholeness now. You could live in Jesus now. The alternative is just a lot of temporary things that don't fulfill anything. And you know what? We try to fill our lives with all type of temporary things to cover it up. There's a boy who went in and he saw his mom putting on beauty cream. He didn't know what was going on. He said, Mom, what's that? She says, it's, it's beauty, beauty cream. It helps my face look more beautiful. So he's watching. A little bit while later, she's wiping it off with some tissue. He said, what, did you give up already? <laughs> we were doing everything to try to make ourselves more beautiful, last longer, have more fun, play it all out, have less stress. Sometimes it's just not thinking about what's going on in North Korea. Sometimes it's not just thinking about what's going to happen in the next season. Sometimes it's trying to numb the present by medicating ourselves. And that might be through actual medication. It might just be through video games. I don't know what you got. But the reality is Jesus didn't want us to go through numb and ignorant. He wants us to know that death and sin are an issue. But you're not alone in those deathly things and sin. He wants to live in you today. He's not concerned with how pretty this face is on you right now. He's concerned with how you look before his father. And unless you're in Jesus, you don't look very good to God. But if you live in Jesus. And you look beautiful to God because you look like Jesus, he sees Jesus. And you get to live in the goodness of Jesus. There is a day when Jesus will return. That's what we believe in, not just as Advent Christians, but as Christians. Advent Christians means we believe he's coming again. He's going to Advent again. That's good. But until that day, you're to live for the Lord. Because it's only about Jesus. It's only about Christ. That's why when hard days come, when sin comes, when death comes, you can face that and say, yeah, but I know because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Didn't we hear that from the choir? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. I know that life is worth the living. Just because he lives. He is everything to us. And it's guaranteed in the resurrection, not just for something future, but the amazing starts now. That's why I can go home to an Easter meal and it will have temporary delight. But you know what? In that meal, I'm actually supposed to be worshiping God, saying, God, thank you for what you've done for me. You know how special it is that he what he's done for you. We say for God so loved the world. And that's pretty good. But as C.S. Lewis said. He didn't come and just save like some big. Section of humanity as one big collection. He saved you. He loves you. Not because you're the center of the universe, but because. He is and then he made you and he rescued you. He loves you. 
And now he's the center of your everything. He's the center of your Easter meal. He's the center of your Monday. He's the center of all your actions. He's the center of the way you use your your mouth and your words. He's the way he's everything to you. Otherwise, you know what? Your death has a big appetite. It and sin will consume you. And you don't know when death is going to come, either to you or somebody close to you, and it'll rock your world. Yesterday, there's a, a, a young man who's a, a basketball player. He's actually from the Seattle area. Right now, he plays for the Boston Celtics, led the Boston Celtics to the number one seed in the playoffs. They had their first game today. I mean, the upswing on that is just great. He's a great guy. Katie met him in Ikea one time, got a picture taken. Seems like a good dude. Has the fame, has the money, everything's going his way. Number one seed. Yesterday morning, after practice, gets the news that his 22-year-old sister was in a one-car accident, not wearing a seatbelt, died. I don't know where his faith is. His name's Isaiah, so I'm, I'm praying that his faith is in the one in whom his name is based on. But I bring that up just to illustrate this. Pray for that man. Pray for their family. But I bring it up to illustrate this. There is no amount of success in whatever season you're in or money you're making or whoever likes you and all the people that you've got on Facebook. There is no amount of anything in this world that can rescue you from death. Save but one man. His name is Jesus who died for you. And resurrected so that he could call your name. And so that every day of your life would be filled with the amazing of him. But that's not temporary. But everything's eternal. It's all for him. So today we're going to close in song. And, and I've just grown to love this song. Alan, are you going to help us with this? And uh, what I love about this song, it just nails it on the head. In Christ alone. It's only in Christ. There's only Christ can save you. Only Christ will call your name on that day. There is nothing else in all the world that can do it. And the good thing is it's not temporary. It is absolutely eternal. Absolutely eternal. And so today as we close in this song, if you feel like you just need a moment to be with the Lord and say, Lord, I've had my mind on all these other things. I've been putting my hope on other things. And I just recognize they're all temporary. And I just want to bring it all to you. This will be a good time for you to come and reconnect with your Lord. I guarantee you this, it'll make your Easter meal all the better. It'll make it a worship meal, not a you meal. Let's worship the Lord and go to him and tell him he's everything for us.